Well, good morning, everybody. It's fun to uh, watch everybody try to figure out, like you're sniffing them and looking at them and like, what are these? And you know, what, what is this? So if you've read ahead in your Bible and you're prepared, you kind of know. But if not, you'll find out here in a minute as we continue in our series that we've been doing through the book of Revelation. Our series is called Blessed with a question mark. The reason for that, we've said it week after week, is because most of the time when people read the book of Revelation, they don't think it, uh, of it as a blessing book. They think of it as like a judgment curse book. And kind of our view of Revelation is this idea that the things that happen there are just so unfortunate. But really, Revelation is the culmination of everything that we should be wanting and expecting and hoping for. And what you see in Revelation is exactly that. That all these creatures, all these martyrs, all these angels, all, all of heaven is excited because of the blessing they finally see that's coming fully that they've been waiting on. And you know this is true in your own life. There are blessings that come and those blessings that are normally the greatest blessings come as a result of your patient waiting and endurance, Right? There's some of the greatest blessings. The things that come quick that are just given to you, often we take for granted. But the things that take time, the things that take discipline, the things that like sacrifice is required, those are the things we typically most value and they become kind of the blessings that we most cherish. Or the other option is a blessing that's given to us when we know we don't deserve it. When we deserve the opposite and like a grandmother or a father or someone, a friend, gives us a blessing that we're like, we don't deserve this at all. That's also the book of Revelation. It's this incredible declaration that everything should be destroyed for how wicked it is and God in his mercy is not only making things right, he's passing out blessing after blessing to those who have endured. So Revelation, as we've looked week after week, is a book of blessing. When John the Apostle wrote this book on the island of Patmos, where he was exiled because he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus in the Roman Empire, and Nero exiled him to this island to try to shut him up because they tried to kill him and he wouldn't die. He was on this island, and this is what he wrote. The one who reads this is blessed. And those who hear and keep it are blessed. That's how he says in the beginning of the book. And at the end of the book, the last chapter, he says, blessed is he who heeds this book. This is a book of blessing from beginning to end. That's what it is. And unfortunately, we, unfortunately we've allowed it to be turned in to something it was never intended to be. And so I want you to think about that as we continue, because this morning... Well, right before that, remember one of the verses I keep sharing week after week, sometimes I forget, is Acts 1.8. Because this is a 1.6-8. This is a key thing that you have to remember as we're reading the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation is both literal and symbolic. It's both. Just like everything in your life is both literal and symbolic. When you buy your, your, someone a gift for their birthday or their anniversary, it's not about the gift you buy. It's the symbolism of why you bought it right? Like, it's a symbol of I love you. It's like, oh, you love me as much as this toaster. Great. You're really loving. That's not enough. Like, like the symbol never measures up, right? Like, it's a literal toaster. So are you telling me I'm hot? Is that what this means? Or are you telling me you're going to burn me? Like, I don't, know what the, I don't know how to take this toaster, right? You can overthink symbolism too. 
It's just a toaster. We needed one, and I got you a fancy one. Isn't it nice? Most of you women are like, that's not a good gift. In our house, sometimes those are the best gifts. Anyway, but Jesus told his disciples before he left the earth, his disciples came together, and they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? In other words, is it time for the blessing? Is it finally going to end? Are we finally done struggling? Is Israel, like, finally going to be where it's supposed to be, and God's people are finally not going to be persecuted? We're not going to be enslaved. Things are going to go well now. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods the Father has set by his own authority. He looks at them and says, you're not going to know. Don't worry about it. Here's what I want you to worry about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come on you. Oh, I get power. What kind of power? Oh, power to talk and live a holy life. Well, no, I wanted power to like, keep people from persecuting me. Like, I wanted to zap them when they tried to hurt me. So, well, no, that's not the power you get. The power I'm giving you is the ability to be my witness and to speak what I've asked you to speak. I'm going to give you strength, an inner strength, an inner confidence to speak to others about who I am and what I've done in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the most parts of the earth. That's what Jesus tells his disciples. And most of the time, when we go to the book of Revelation, the reason it ends up not being a blessing book is because it doesn't help us share the gospel. We end up doubting the gospel. We end up arguing about things instead of just embracing the beauty of the book that is this credible witness of blessing. And God's like, what are you? Jesus like, what? Stop. Don't worry about it. I'll bring the kingdom when it's time. You just be faithful. Be faithful to me. Here's some of the messages that we looked at over the last several weeks. You can find these online. Last week we had trumpets because of Rosh Hashanah. And this week I want us to think about this. Blessed, take and eat. You see, when you go and you have a blessing, you go to a family reunion, a Thanksgiving dinner, and you walk in and you smell the food, and it's like you want to go to the kitchen now, right? Like, that's me. I was always in the kitchen before I was supposed to, getting my hand smacked with a spoon, being ornery. That's me to a T. I mean, to a T. When my mom told me, some of you know this story, my mom told me that when you're 18, you can eat dessert when you want to. And whenever I go to a family gathering or go to a church event, I always eat a bite of dessert before anything else in honor of my mother. It reminds me of her. It reminds me of home. It reminds me of like, and I tell her every time. I, sometimes when I'm home, I'll just go up and be like, I'm over 18. And I'll just take a bite. And she just shakes her head at me and we both smile. It's an incredible blessing. For me. Okay. So, so God, we're going to see, is saying, taste and eat. There's a scripture that, Dan, that David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Try it. And many of you in this room, many who may be online, and many people you know, have tasted and seen the Lord or his church, and they've said it's not good. And the reason is because they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand what real blessing is. They were looking for a specific blessing for something they wanted to fix their problem. They weren't looking for the ultimate blessing that solves all problems and answers all questions for all of eternity. And we can be just as guilty if we're not careful. So let's dive in. We're in Revelation, the end of chapter 8, going into 9 and 10. Here's what it says at the end of chapter 8. It says, I looked again and the eagle flying high overhead, crying out in a loud voice, says, woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining trumpet blasts. 
and the three angels are about to sound. Last week, we looked at the four the first four trumpet blasts out of seven. If you know the book of Revelation, there are seven seals, there are seven trumpets, and there are seven bowls. There's also seven flashes of lightning, but that's in another section. But seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. We're in the middle of, just past the middle of the seven trumpets. The fourth trumpet sounded. When you looked at what happened, it was creation is getting shaken. We looked at this last week, and people are trying to figure out what do we do, where do we go? And remember, in Scripture, God is always announcing things with the sound of a trumpet all the way through Scripture. He had Moses fashion two silver trumpets, and then they had the ram's horn that they would blow, the shofar, to announce things were happening. It's an announcement that things are getting ready to happen. It's still true today. When we get ready to have a tornado, what goes off? Sirens or giant horns. Have you ever seen them? They look like horns. They're on a pole. They look like a trumpet. Like they're like, hello. Uh, have you ever been like Friday at noon once a month and you're like, what's, oh, it's noon, right? Like it gets your attention. That's the point. And God was the one that designed it and God has been doing it for all of eternity. He's constantly doing things to try to get our attention and we like the noon, I tell you, if we ever get a storm or something bad that happens noon on that Friday, we're toast. Because we are going to totally, it doesn't matter how, oh, that's normal. I mean, we will miss it and all of scripture is about God's people missing it. We're now to the, to the, this trumpet where God is saying, these last three trumpets, you're not going to miss it. You might have missed the first four. You might have been able to give excuses for the first four. These last three are such woes. Whenever you see woe in Scripture, the Greek word is oe. It means it's to express absolute destruction. It's to pronounce something or something is evil and something big is coming. Whenever there were these woes, and when you say three woes, that's perfection. That's Father, Son, Holy Spirit kind of whoa. That's like, whoa, this is big. It's like, well, wait a minute. The first four seem pretty bad. The first four trumpets we looked at last week, God's like, no, 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 no. I, I haven't even begun yet. And you wonder, why does God have to do this? The reason he has to do this is because we won't listen any other way. We will go about our life and go about our day. Normal as normal can be until something grabs our attention because that's just how we are. Our brain gets in these ruts that we can't get out of. We can't navigate through. And God's like, I'm trying to get you to see something different. And remember, John is looking at this whole scene from heaven looking at earth. He's outside of time and space. It's not like these events are one right after the other, right after the other, and there's like, these are happening all over, and there's a jumping back and forth at times, and because it's symbolic and literal, some of the things like we looked at last week in the four trumpets, what we're going to see this week, we've seen them happen before. Why? Because God will give us just a little taste of something so that we're ready for the big something. It's like when you go to the kitchen on Thanksgiving, Right? Someone's carving the turkey and they have the scraps off to the sides, right? And everybody's like, well, I can't get to the real turkey yet, but there's a piece there. Like in my house, the, the fa my family all fights over the gizzards and livers, livers not me. I don't eat that stuff. I, I'm the only one, but all the rest of my family members are like, I want the gizzard. I want the liver. I'm like, that's disgusting. 
That's the innards. Just toss them out. Have you not read the temple? They took the insides, they took them outside the camp, and they dumped them. They didn't eat them. Like, I'm just more biblical than you. Like, I have this, like, fun argument with my family. Everything's made, been made clean under Christ, so don't. But anyway, like, it's the same thing. God's trying to get the attention. Look at how God used to do his calendar. We looked at this last week, but right now is Rosh Hashanah. We're in the 10 days of awe. These are supposed to be, the announcement was made last Sunday, and for 10 days, God's people were supposed to think about, we got to get our hearts ready, because the day of atonement is coming, and I want to go before God, and I want to have my heart ready to know that he's going to pay the price I deserve. I want to go to God knowing that he'll forgive. I want to go to the world and let the world know they can be forgiven before the atonement and the final judgment comes. Remember, Rosh Hashanah was the announcement to the world that God was God and there was a new beginning coming. Passover was the announcement to God's people that there was a new beginning coming. So the actual Jewish calendar starts at Passover, but Rosh Hashanah is after Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits, which you see there is deliverance and forgiveness, celebration resurrection, and then there's this counting of the Omar and the giving of the Torah that we have the word. Then we live out the word in front of the world until the day when God's trumpet is announced, when his atonement comes, and finally he makes everything right and we eat at his table forever. That's Sukkot. God has been following this pattern for all of eternity. This, this is how he does things. It's how he's laying it out in the book of Revelation. He is consistent. How much more does he have to do to get our attention and be consistent before we listen? And that's exactly what we see here. He goes on, says this, The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. The key to the shaft of the abyss was given to him. He opened the shaft of the abyss, and smoke came out of the shaft, like smoke from a great furnace, so that the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke from that shaft. Then the locusts came out of the smoke onto the earth. The power was given to them, like the power that scorpions have on earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green plant, or any tree, but only people who do not have God's seal on their foreheads. Last week, we looked at the fact that God had sealed 144,000. We talked about that's probably literal and symbolic both. Now we get into all these kind of arguments about later, we'll find out the mark of the beast that's put, you have to be able to trade. And here they talk about a mark on the forehead. Well, that's kind of symbolic of your brain, your mind, your belief, your trust, your faith, right? Your will is centered here. This is where your will is centered, right here. The brain. You make decisions every day from right here. So is this symbolic? Is it literal? Yes. Both. Always. I believe what Scripture says. Are these giant locusts, scorpion locusts? I don't know. Listen, we're good at creating crazy stuff and mutating things. I don't know if you've seen that recently. We're really good at messing up our world and making things we shouldn't make. Very good at it. We, that might be a part of this. I don't know. Maybe it's just describing something that looks like a scorpion, like a locust. I don't know. God didn't say. He just said this. John is trying to describe things he's seeing that he has no words for. Helicopters look a lot like locusts. Now, I'm not saying they're helicopters. I have no idea. But John's trying to describe stuff as fast as he can, and he's right, and he's like, I don't want locusts. Maybe it is a real locust. He's like, giant locust. That's incredible. I don't know. 
Don't get caught in it up in that. Get caught up in the fact that it's going to happen. There is judgment coming. Things like hurricanes and earthquakes, terrible things happen all the time to get our attention. And then we just go right back to life like normal. Driving in this morning, I heard them talk about that right now we are up to a hundred different variants of Omicron. One hundred. And used to, they were able to track the variants just six months ago. Now they can't because six months ago, they had 100,000 samples to keep up with. Now they can't even get 10,000 samples because governments won't even send them in. The pandemic hasn't stopped. We've just decided to forget about it. People are still dying. But it's kind of lost its ability to control people. So we just... Well, that didn't work, so let's bring in something else to try to make people do what we want. Is it real? Absolutely. There are people still dying. It's still wicked. They're still, this is terrible. But we've decided we're just going to go on with life as normal. Now, it's one thing to do that in a world that's broken that we have to do that day to day. I have to drive knowing that today many people are going to get killed in a car accident, and I have to take the risk and get to where I'm going. It's another thing to do that with your spiritual life without never giving it a second thought. And God is trying to say, you better think about what's coming. And this this fifth angel blows his trumpet, and it's bad. Now, you might be thinking, how do I know if I got the seal or not? I'm glad you asked. Ephesians says this, we have redemption in him, that's Jesus, through his blood, the, right, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom, that's the mind, and understanding. And he made known to us, that's again the brain, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he planned in him for the administration of the days of fulfillment. To bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. How many more hymns or he's do you need in this passage to realize you don't seal yourself? He does it. He's the one that seals you. And if you've been sealed by him, you can trust him because who's the only person that can open a seal in heaven? Jesus. Or someone he tells that can open a seal. And we have been sealed in Christ. We're his. He protects it. He doesn't open it till it's time. Now, are there a lot of people who think they're sealed and they're not? Absolutely. There's a lot of people who play the game. But God's not trying to get us to doubt here. He's trying to get us to see that if you know my son, you've been sealed. That's all there is to it. You can't do more to get more sealed. You're either sealed or you're not sealed. Well, I'm going to get a little more sealed. Maybe three seals on there will be it. You can't. It's either done or it's not. Have you surrendered to God or haven't you? Have you embraced his knowledge, his wisdom, his will, or haven't you? Do you go to the scriptures to find out what life is about, or do you go to everybody else to find out what life's about? It's a good indicator of where your seal is. I want to open the seal of the word of God so that I understand what I've been sealed in and what I've been sealed for. He goes on, he says, we also have received an inheritance in him. That means you've been given an inheritance that can't be taken away, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will. It's all about him and his will. Now, why has Christ done all this? Well, look, 
so that we who already put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to his glory. Remember how every time we see things happen in heaven, there's praise and glory being given? Every time. Every time they open a new seal or something happens, all the creatures and all the leaders, they just cry out because they can't help but praise. They keep, I just got to praise. This is awesome what God is doing. Exactly. The reason God has saved you is not so that you can like have this and keep it to yourself. It's so that you can declare to the world like a trumpet, hey, take and eat from God. I've tried it. It's great. There's nothing like it. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, look at this, you were also sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. The reason he seals you, the reason he saves you, the reason he helps you endure is so that he gets all the credit, not you. So that he can say, look at the meal I've prepared. You didn't bring nothing. It's okay, because I got it covered. See, that's the beauty of communion. It's the beauty of taking and eating. Listen, if you know Christ, you are sealed. You don't have to fear these locusts and scorpions. You don't have to fear what's going on in the world. No matter what happens to you, you're going to stand before God, and all these things we just read are going to be true of you. Not because you did them, but because God said he did it. Believe him. Stop doubting. You think your sin is too much? Give me a break. Look at our heroes of our faith. The heroes of our faith were disasters. They were murderers, cheats, adulterers, multiple time adulterers, liars. God picked the worst people. Why? Because we're all the worst people. He just picked the ones that realized they were the worst and needed him. Instead of the ones that said, well, yeah, I'm kind of a bad person, but not that bad. Now, those folks are in trouble before God. But the ones that say, I'm desperate. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm an adulterer. I am so desperate for something to save me. Yeah, God's like, thank you. That's, That's the point. That's exactly what Paul tells us in Ephesians 9.5 says, they were not permitted, these locusts and these scorpions. Oh, by the way, well, I'll say this in a minute. They were not permitted to kill them, but they were to torment them for five months. We're given a time frame here, and their torment is like the torment caused by a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. People are going to be so miserable, they just want to kill themselves but for some reason in this five-month span, they can't find a way to die. Wow. That's how bad this woe is. And you look at that and go, wow, that's crazy. Do you realize that if there's anything the pandemic's taught us, it's that's what we did to ourselves in the pandemic? Our suicide rates across the world are off the charts right now. I mean off the charts. And we haven't even seen the young people yet a number of years later and the results of what's going to happen. Why be alive if there's no life, if it's just isolate and not have any relationship and not take any risks and just play it safe? That's no way to live. We know that without God. 
Now, am I saying we shouldn't be careful? We shouldn't think and use our heads? No, I'm not saying, yes, we should. We should think through things. But be careful that we don't end up being in this position where we're as miserable as these people because it's like, look, I don't want to kill. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what Paul said. If God keeps me alive, I'm going to live for him. And if he wants to take me out, please do. Because that's just better gain for me. But that doesn't mean we try to gain it on our own strength. We trust him and his timing and his kingdom when he brings it to our life. And we go through the mess just like everybody else does. And that's why you need people around you. You need other people to walk with you through the mess of life because it's messy. And there are going to be times when you get stung and it hurts. Now, in this circumstance, those who are sealed won't be touched. Have you ever looked up what a scorpion sting does? I haven't until this message. I decided to look it up. You get numbness and swelling, tingling, warmth, difficulty breathing, muscle twitching, thrashing, uh, headache, neck and eye movements weird. You can drool a lot, sweating, nausea and vomiting, high blood pressure, accelerated heart rate, uh, restlessness or excitability, anxiety are the symptoms of a scorpion sting. And most scorpion stings do not kill people unless you're elderly or young. The normal reason people die from a scorpion sting is that their heart either swells like myocarditis and they die or they stop breathing. They can't breathe anymore and die of cardiac arrest. Seems like we've been stung by something like this recently. And what's our response going to be? To give up and hope for the best? Or are we going to get serious about announcing the God who has a hope for people? 9-7 says, The appearance of the locust was like horses equipped for battle. Something like gold crowns was on there. Something like gold crowns. Like, something like. What does that mean? I don't know. John didn't either. Like, something like gold crowns. I don't, that's all I got. Best I got. It's shiny not really gold. I don't know what it was. And then he goes on. He says, their faces were like men's faces. So they weren't men's faces, but like. They had hair like women's hair. What's that mean? What's the difference between a man's hair and a women's hair? I don't know. And then he says, their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had chest like iron breastplates. The sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses rushing into battle. And they had tails with stingers like scorpions, so that with their tails, they had the power to harm people for five months. They had as their king the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has a name Apollyon. Both of those words in Hebrew and Greek mean destroyer or destruction. His name is Mr. Destroyer, Mr. Destruction. Like that's who he is. This is talking about Satan himself. It's talking about this, he's being sent out, and there's this persecution and these people that are with him. It's awful. It's terrible what's happening. And really what this is saying is at this point, Satan and his dominions are no longer disguising themselves like angels of light. They've been unleashed. They're not using deception anymore on people. They're using a full frontal attack so that it's clear to the world, you better wake up. You better wake up 
That's exactly what is happening. It goes on, it says, the first woe has passed. There are still two more to come after this. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Nope, still two more. You thought that was bad. Nope, still two more. The sixth angel blew his trumpet From the four horns of the gold altar that is before God, I heard a voice say to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels bound at the great river Euphrates. What's he talking about, these four angels that are bound? Well, four angels would represent, if they're going out all over the earth, north, south, east, and west. We talked about that before, right? These four angels that are bound around the Euphrates Where do most scholars believe that life and the original man's ancestor came from? The Euphrates region, the Mesopotamian region. Let me show you who these angels probably are and what they've been waiting for. Genesis 3.21, after Adam and Eve sinned before God, it says that God made clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Stop there for a minute. God didn't smite them. He didn't destroy them. He said, I'm going to clothe you. When Jesus saves us, he says he wants to give us a new body, a new clothing. The one we're in is messed up and dirty. It's made out of skins, and God's going to give us a clothing that isn't made out of skins. It's been washed in the blood of the Lamb. White as snow. So here they are clothed in this temporary clothing. They were eternal beings. Now they're giving temporary clothing, bodies. And the Lord said, since man has become like one of us, knowing good from evil goes back to the head, the mind, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. Why? Because we don't want sin to live forever. Sin is going to be a temporary thing in the life of man. There'll be a first judgment to end life, and then there'll be a second judgment. And if you know Christ, and you've, in the Old Testament, if you look forward to the Messiah saving you, then God will save you and give you a new life. And he says you will eat from the tree of life forever, which is what we find at the end of the book of Revelation. So the Lord sent him away, man away, from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. In other words, he's going to have to work, and it's going to be hard, and it was easy, and now it's not going to be, and the ground he was made from is where he's going to go back to, like dust. Look at this. He drove man out. Adam and Eve didn't leave on their own. Would you leave paradise on your own? Or would you be like running around trying to hide to stay there? (laughs) Right? Oh, I'm going to hide. Maybe he won't find me back here. I don't want to go out there. It says he drove them out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirlwind sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. I don't know about you, but whenever I pictured this, I always pictured like two angels standing at like some doorway. These cherubim are the four angels probably mentioned here in Revelation, that are keeping people from the access to eternity. They're stationed saying, you can't come here unless you do away with the flesh and you're given new flesh, you can't live here. 
So now we have these angels that have been held back since the beginning of creation, Genesis, that are now being unleashed. They've been waiting. They've been holding back. They've been waiting to see people that will come back into the garden and will get to eat again. And they haven't seen it, and they've been waiting. We want to see the people come, but they can't come yet. We're waiting for that day. We're waiting for tabernacles to fully take its effect. Man, we angels, we know what our purpose is. We know what we've been created for, but it feels like we can't do our purpose. We're just kind of standing here waiting. You ever felt that way? And then instead of waiting, you just go ahead and take and eat instead of waiting. I'm just going to do what I want to do. See, the angels aren't going to do what they want to do. They're waiting for God to tell them what to do, and now is the time. So the four angels who were prepared for the hour, day, and month, and year were released to kill a third of the human race. The number of mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. 200 million troops. Now, we don't know if this is angels spurring We're allowing man to kill man. You think 200 million is a lot of people. China says that's about the size of their military if they called them to order. The United Nations, if you add up all the nations and all the military that's in the United Nations, you could reach that number pretty easily. When this was written, 200 million people, you'd be like, that's impossible. 200 million? No way. Now we've got one country that could come up with 200 million and a bunch of countries that get along real well that would produce 200 million. Like that. You see, this army is raised up to kill one another. This is people killing people. The angels are just saying, okay, we're taking our protection off. Unleash them. It's awful. And a third of the population is killed. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, man, this is concerning. This is kind of scary. Well, remember, you're sealed by God. So you don't have to worry that even if you die a terrible first death, there's no second death for you. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 24 when he was talking to his followers as he was coming to the end of his life. He says, while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, tell us when these things will happen. They are always asking when questions. (laughs) tell us when now are we there yet are we there yet like this is constant with the disciples Jesus answered and what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age then Jesus replied to them watch out that no one deceives you that's the head for many will come in my name saying I'm the Messiah and they will deceive many you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars see that you're not alarmed because these things must take place But the end isn't yet. This is the sixth trumpet. There's still a seventh trumpet and there's still seven bowls. We're not there yet. In the book. Much less now. And Jesus is looking at them and he's saying, why are you so concerned? What are you trying to save yourself from, disciples? Have I not told you? Jesus was getting ready to model them what would happen if they actually lived for God's glory. What'd they do to Jesus? Crucified him. They ridiculed, mocked him, and crucified him. And he came back to life to said, not the end yet. 
And we think we're going to get a pass because we're going to get a blessing and God's going to bless us. And Jesus did that for us so that we don't have to. Listen, the best parents are the ones that actually put their kids through the same stuff they went through because they know it made them better. Not the ones that keep their kids from everything. Those are the kids that end up messed up. That doesn't mean you like purposely hurt your kids. It doesn't mean you like go out of your way to like, I'll show you. I, I, I went through this, so you're going to do it. No, it's you understand how discipline works. You understand that the only way your kid changes is not by giving them blessing after blessing after blessing. They have to suffer. There has to be discipline because we don't learn any other way. We don't. We take everything in and take it for granted. Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. And then he says, you're going to hear wars and rumors. See that you're not afflicted. They must take place. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these events are the beginning of birth pains. Some of you have had children in here. The beginning of birth pains? Can we just get this over with? <laughs> Nope, just the beginning. You think it hurts now? <laughs> no, 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 that baby's still inside you. There's still some stuff coming that you'll, it's gonna be bad. But it's worth it. Because there's no other plan we've figured out how to bring human beings in the world except through moms, through wombs, through growth and suffering. There's not a plan B. We still can't put them in a test tube and grow them in a little box even though all the movies say we're gonna be there someday. Maybe we will. We can't do it. And it's brutal. Do you realize there's still tons of women who die from childbirth around the world all the time? It's a dangerous endeavor. You're putting something in you to grow and mess up all, like, it pushes on all your organs. Like, I'm always amazed when I see women, I'm like, how? I could, I'd, uh, God, thank you for women. Because I don't know that I could do that. I, I just, Wow. And, every, and it's miserable, and people are screaming, and it's awful. And then the baby comes out, and it's like, oh, everybody's crying, and it's wonderful. And you're like, did you just see what happened? Why are we excited right now? You're still not healed. You're still bleeding. It's, this is not good. Because now I'm realizing as a husband, now there's a child, and my wife isn't recovered. Ah! Jesus says that's exactly how bringing life into the world works. Listen. When you take and eat of Christ, Jesus was nice enough to give us the whole picture and the whole story. He was nice enough to tell us and say, you better count the cost before you decide to take and eat. Because there's a cost. And it's worth it. It's so worth it. But there are going to be moments when you don't think it's worth it. And it's going to feel, it's only the beginning. You're going to come to me and you'll be like, God, how much more? And I'm going to look at you and go, it's just the beginning. You'll be okay. I don't think I have any more to give. No, you do. You want to know why? Because you've eaten me and I'm inside of you. And I will give you the strength and there are others that I will put around you to give you the strength that will help you eat when you can't. They will feed you. That's the body of Christ. He goes on and says... They will hand you over for persecution, Jesus says, and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. 
Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. In other words, this isn't worth eating anymore. This is too hard. You know, I went through the whole childbirth and had this kid, but man, I'm tired of this kid. I'm leaving. I'm just going to give it away. Here you go. You can have it. That seems so strange to us, but it's what we continue to see happen. And he says, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered. You are sealed. You will endure and Christ will do it. This good news of the kingdom, good news? Did you just read what we read? And Jesus is like, this good news. And you're like, death, hand you over, beginning of pain, like take a fit. Good, good news, good news. Yeah, this good news of a kingdom that's coming will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. See, what God's doing in these trumpets is he's announcing these seven, he keeps announcing and saying, look, I don't want to bring the end. I don't want to bring the end. I don't want, like there's still more that you can still, there's still time. I'm not trying to kill you off. I'm trying to save you from what's coming. For that time, there will be a great tribulation, the kind that's never taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. And that's what we're reading in Revelation. Unless those days were limited, no one would survive. But those days will be limited because of the elect. In other words, because of those who have been sealed. The reason that the time is going to be cut short for people is because there won't be any more people that are willing to be sealed. We see that as we go on. He says this in 17. This is how I saw the horses in my vision. The horsemen had breastplates that were fiery red, hasinneth blue and sulfur yellow. The heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and from their mouth came fire and smoke and sulfur. A third of the human race was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur that came from their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, and their tails, which resemble snakes, have heads, and they inflict injury with them. Again, John is trying to describe this and he doesn't know how to describe it except with the animals and stuff he's seen in his day. This is what it looks like. We're not going to know what this is. We'll probably struggle to describe it if we saw it. And he said another third of the human race is going to be destroyed. The rest of the people who are not killed by these plagues, he says, did not repent of the works of their hands to stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which are not able to see, hear, or walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. This should be the moment for you where your heart just sinks for humanity. God has done everything he could to save the human race. He's done everything to show love and graciousness. He's preserved the earth. He hasn't allowed, up until now, he hasn't allowed the earth to just kill a third and just come after people. Like he has withheld his wrath. And now that he's finally pouring it out and making it absolutely clear and writing it down so people know it's absolutely clear, he, he also prophesied this through Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah, all saw stuff like this. So he said it before. It's not like this is new information. And he comes to the end and he said, now you want to see while I'm going to go all the way? Because there's not a single person left who won't repent. They won't change their mind and turn the other way. They won't fight. There's no one left fighting. 
They just keep murdering. They keep up their sorceries. They keep all this stuff up. And you think, well, I've not murdered anyone. Do you have hatred in your heart? Jesus said that's murder. Well, I don't commit sexual immorality. Do you have adultery in your heart? Well, I don't steal. Really? You don't steal? Really? Do you try to find, when you find a penny on the ground, you really try to find whose it is? Well, that's not theft. God blessed me. (laughs) If you found $10,000 on the ground, you'd probably try to find whose it was. What's the amount matter? Now, I'm not saying all that. There's grace. I'm not saying all that to, like, cast judgment on you. If you know Christ, you are forgiven of these things. What he's saying is, there's no one left who will say, I need to be changed. They're not saying murder is bad, sorcery is bad, sexual morality is bad, theft is bad. They're doubling down and saying, all of it's good and I'm going to keep doing it and I can't stand you, God, and I can't stand your ways and I'm going to fight you tooth and nail and you bring it on. That's where these people's hearts are. They are hard-hearted to a T. When they know that Jesus said, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These people treasure murder. They treasure sorcery. They, and you say, what's sorcery? Sorcery is just using God. That's what sorcery is. Sorcery is I'm going to make deals with God. That's what sorcerers do. They give a little sacrifice, they do a little incantation to get God on your side. That's what we do. God, just get me through this test and then I'll I'll worship you. Don't be a sorcerer. Look at God and say, I did not study for this test. I am desperate for your grace. Even if you don't give it, I'll figure it out. I love you. Thank you. That's just an honest prayer. Don't be a sorcerer. And try to manipulate God. Don't do it. Jesus says, have your heart and treasure in him and come to him and say, I'm a mess. I didn't study. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I love you. And he's going to look at you. I love you too. You're still in the flesh. You're still going to keep messing up. And someday you don't have to study anymore. You're going to have all eternity study and you're going to love every minute of it. It's going to be great. We're not there yet. He goes on and says this. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun. Remember, when we looked a few weeks ago, rainbows are actually circles. And so when you look in the Old Testament and Ezekiel sees the wheels or the circles of light, it's the same description. And he says, his face was like the sun, his legs were like fiery pillars. He had a scroll opened in his hand. He put it in his put his right foot on the sea and his left hand on the land, and he cried out. It's almost like, like he's getting ready. Can you imagine he puts it here, and then he puts it here like, I'm ready to go. It's like, it's like he's in a stance for the 100 meters, right? Like, I'm ready. Here we go. That's what this description is. And it says, when he cried out, the seven thunders spoke with their voices. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders said and don't write it down. This is for you to know and not anyone else. They'll figure it out later. But you're going to seal up what was said. And then he says, The angel that I'd, been, that I'd seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. He swore an oath by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it. 
There will no longer be any interval of time, but, the, but in the days of the sound of the seventh angel, when he will blow his trumpet, then God's hidden plan will be completed as he announced to his servants, the prophets. He's saying, this is, this is it. Once this seventh trumpet's blown, it's over. There's nothing but judgment, nothing but destruction left. It's done. He's still saying there's a scroll. You don't know what's written in it. Do you want to know what's written in it? Think about it. There's still opportunity to repent before this happens. God is constantly trying to just say, please don't, please don't, please don't. I don't want to have to discipline you. I don't want to have to do this. Please just do what you're supposed to do. And we, no, no, no. And God's like, okay, boom, boom. Please listen. He goes on and, He says, when it's completed, he said he's announced that the plan will be completed. What plan? You see, there was another time when it was announced there'd be a plan completed. It's when Jesus was on the cross. It said, and after this, when Jesus knew that everything was accomplished, that the scripture, the prophets, might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. I need something to drink. Take and eat. Take and drink. And a jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop and held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it's completed. It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. See, Jesus was completing the Old Testament covenant. He was becoming the ultimate sacrifice so that we don't have to make lamb and goat and bull sacrifices anymore. He fulfilled all that part of the Old Testament, but this angel is saying, and in this moment he's saying, but the judgment hasn't been fully complete. Do you want to know why the judgment hasn't been complete? Because this guy, Jesus, finished his work on earth, but he is not done doing his work in your life, and he's not done doing his work in other people's lives, and he's not done doing his work from heaven to earth. He is holding back the wrath of God until it's finished. He finished the first part, but we wait for him to finish the second part, and that's what's getting ready to come. See, Scripture is so consistent as he walks through this. And then he says in verse 8, now, I, now the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. Man, that would have been scary. I don't know. I'm going to go take a scroll. These scrolls are like... Bad things happen. You, you, get, you take it. You Like hot potato. You have it. You know you have it. He says, so I went to the angel and asked him, <laughs> um, the other angel told me I could have the scroll. Like <laughs> You see John like, to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take and eat it. It will be bitter in your stomach, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little scroll from the angel and I ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I ate it, my stomach became bitter. And I was told, you must prophesy again. You must tell the truth about God, about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. You need to go out and tell the truth about what I'm telling you. See, here's the thing about the gospel. Now, this little thing is really sweet. It might be bitter if you're lactose intolerant, but otherwise you'll probably be okay, okay? 
It's like a little scroll. That's what's wrapped up. Sometimes they wrap these in graduation. Like, like it's sweet to the taste. I, I encourage you, take it out. Eat it. Enjoy it. As we're finishing up. Let's just say that I've already had four or five this morning of the little parts that were broken inside the canister. I mean, somebody had to eat them. You know. See, here's the thing about the gospel. The gospel is sweet to the taste. It's wonderful. When you first come to know Christ, there's nothing sweeter. It is like, oh, this is awesome. But then what happens is you recognize that it's not finished yet. You begin to recognize that there are things in this life that can turn you bitter. There are hard things. There are things that are going to be tough. There are things I'm going to have to go out and say that sound like bitterness to people. Ezekiel said it this way, and you, son of man, listen to what I tell you. Don't be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving to you. So I looked and saw a hand reaching out to me, and there was written scroll, or there was a written scroll in it. When he unrolled it before me, It was written on the front and back, words of lamentation, mourning, and woe were written on it. Then he said to me, son of man, eat what you find here. Eat this scroll, then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed fed me the scroll. Son of man, he said to me, eat and fill your stomach with this scroll I am giving you. So I ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. But the house of Israel will not want to listen to you because they do not want to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is hard-headed and hard-hearted. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away. I left in bitterness and in an angry spirit. And the Lord's hand was on me powerfully. If you're serious about God's work, there are going to be moments where you feel deep bitterness and anger over what you're seeing happen to people and the refusal to change their hard-headedness and their hard-heartedness. And you're going to beg them, take and eat, it's sweet, and they're going to look at you and say, nope, I know there's a bitterness in this life by taking that, and I want no part of it. And you're going to look at them and say, there's a way worse bitterness after this life, I would take the bitter with the sweet right now. And that's exactly what Ezekiel had to do in the Old Testament. It's again what we see in Revelation with John, these consistent patterns. And that's what the gospel is. It's this thing that we have to constantly keep feeding on. And it tastes good, but then it goes inside of us. And you know what we find out? We find out the bitterness even inside of us that eats us alive. And we're like, oh. And God's like, it's okay. I'm here for you. I'll forgive you. I'll, I'll make you new. This body just is going to keep breaking down. You need a new body. You need a new place. You need a new thing. You need food that never runs out, and here it always runs out. He goes on and says this in Psalm 19, 7. This is what David wrote. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, 
renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wives. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad instead of hard-hearted. The commandment of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up, and the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever, and the ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb. In addition, your service is worn by them. There is great reward in keeping them. I wish the New Testament church in the West today, and specifically here, believed that. We've been taught to look at the Old Testament as an unfortunate time in the past that we don't have to worry about. We have grace now. I don't have to worry about all those laws. And David in the midst of not having grace and not fully having completed the work Jesus had. Like, he didn't know the the seal that he had because of his belief in a future Messiah, writes this. Not because he believed that doing all this would save him. He wrote that those things wouldn't save him. In multiple places in the scripture, he wrote, that's not going to save me, that's not going to save me, only God can save me. And yet he found incredible joy and gladness in the prophecies of God. He looked at it and said, these are the greatest blessings of my life, and I can't wait to keep them. I can't wait to be warned by them. I can't wait to have other people help me be warned by them and keep them. Because they're so good. And you look at the Old Testament, and you're like, yeah, but there's some weird stuff about like not boiling a goat, baby goat and its mother's milk. Yep, that's a weird one. Don't have an answer for that one. Probably just don't do it. Under the new covenant, things have been made clean. We don't have to worry about breaking the law and being cursed because God's grace covers us. But we should at least be concerned to know what the law is there for. Not just be like, I don't have to do that. Don't have to do that. That doesn't matter. No, we are to look at it and be like, wow, this law can keep me from being hard-hearted if I understand the meaning of the law. This this law can keep me from being hard-headed if I understand the meaning of the law. If I can trust God with what he says instead of looking everywhere else. It amazes me how we keep rediscovering the truth of the Old Testament laws and we keep going, wow, that's a great idea. Like pregnancy leave. Used to, man, woman had a baby, she's back out in the field the next day. Now we think we're the smartest people in the world because we came up with pregnancy. God had it in the Old Testament. He said, that woman that had that baby, she is off limits to you for weeks Weeks, and you can't touch her until you go to the priest, and the priest looks at you and says, you can touch your wife now because she's healed. You had to bring a priest into your marriage so you can have sex again. I use like you can have six weeks off. What if I, you made you come back and be like, we need to inspect and make sure you guys can be together. Why did God do that? Because women were constantly used and abused, and God said, my people are going to be different. My people are going to let women recover from the hardness of childbirth. And they're going to love them. And they're going to love them together. And they're going to be priests that pray for them and help them recover. And we just kick that out and be like, oh, that's stupid. And now we brought it back and we act like we're the smartest people in the world. Like we're so generous. God did that 2,000 years ago. More than that, 2,500 years ago. Really? And we keep rediscovering, look, take and eat the word of God. Believe what he says. Believe what he's laying out here in Revelation. Is it confusing from time to time? The whole goat milk, locusts? Yes, it's confusing. But so's the world. A black hole's really confusing. 
He goes on, he says, as we wrap up, who perceives his unintentional sin, David says, cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Don't let them rule over me. Then I will be innocent and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He says, the head and the heart, I just want them to not be hard. I want them to be soft before you. And I have a tendency to want to be hard-headed or hard-hearted, and I want to have your head and your heart. And I want to believe what you say. Jesus said this. This is why communion is so important as we wrap up. We've eaten the scroll. The judgments are coming. That was the seventh trumpet. The seven bowls are going to be poured out. And yet before the seven bowls are poured out, you know what God does? We're going to see next week and Brian's going to bring to us. God sends two final witnesses to try. Try, Please listen to these two witnesses I send you. Please, before it's too late. Believe me in what I say. Because what I say I have to do. Because I'm just and righteous and perfect. And I don't want to have to do it. But I have to because I'm just and right. And I don't go back on my word. So get ready for what's coming. As they were eating, you guys just got done eating. As they were eating the scroll, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. They've been eating all kinds of other good stuff. And he takes the most common food of all of human history, bread. (laughs) I mean, you'd be like, when are we supposed to have that as like an appetizer, the butter? They bring it out the table, we cut it up, and it kind of fills us up before the steak comes? Like, we've been eating all the good stuff, and now you take out bread? Like, okay, he's got the bread out. This is exciting. Woo. He gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood that establishes a new covenant. Not a covenant that is the fear of the law and the fear of judgment, but a new covenant that says you are sealed, you are saved, and when you take and eat, it's sweet, and there are going to be some bitter times, but I'm telling you, keep coming to eat. For this is my blood. It's shed for many. Why was his blood shed? So that you and I could be forgiven because we so desperately need it. Paul said, Now, in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. In other words, you don't come together to take and eat of God. You come together to take and eat from one another, use one another, use this for your own emotional support. You walk out of here just as hard-headed and hard-hearted as you were before. Paul says that shouldn't be that way. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You proclaim judgment. Until he comes, and there's no more judgment. It's over. See, we're in a time of realizing that the judgments are coming. Seven judgments, seven judgments, seven judgments. But God says you can stand, and yes, you will be judged because you're human. Your flesh will be done away with. But the second judgment, you don't have to worry about because you've been sealed, and you've eaten of me, and you're good but you need to let other people know. And then he says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty considering the body 
and blood of the Lord. What's in an unworthy manner? An unworthy manner is not, I desperately need you and I'm a mess and I've got sin in my life and I'm going to take this cup and I'm going to take this bread and I'm going to celebrate that you forgive me, that you are good to me, and that I desperately need you to change me. That's a good way to take communion. <laughs> Taking communion with, it just doesn't mean it, I don't care. Don't take communion. <laughs> communion is meant to celebrate the fact of what Jesus has done that you can't do for yourself. It's a celebration. It's why we do it together. You don't do it by yourself. Because we come together to say, hey, you celebrate, you celebrate, you celebrate. Take and eat. Take and eat. Yeah, but man, I know that I'm going to take this and then I've got to go out and there's bitterness coming because I'm going to sin. And then somebody might ask me about Jesus and I took communion. It's going to remind me of his death and that they need to have him die for them. And Yep. Welcome to why we do communion. The great part is, is that Jesus came back from the life to tell us that there's hope. And he says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In other words, if you're coming to communion and you're not thinking about your own body being surrendered to Christ and you're not thinking about surrendering to the body of Christ and giving yourself to a bunch of crazy morons that are like this church <laughs> and I'm giving myself to a body of people that are broken and a mess then why are you taking communion it doesn't do anything for you don't let it make you bitter let it make you joyful let's pray Father thank you for this morning thank you for your word I thank you for the blessing of communion especially during this time of year that reminds us as we move towards Yom Kippur and the atonement, that you pay the price for the sins of many and that you are the ultimate sacrifice. And so I thank you that, Lord, this is the moment when Rosh Hashanah, the days of awe, and now we come to that place where we're reminded of atonement. And next week, we'll come together, we'll gather, and we will tabernacle with you. That's what we long for is to someday be with you forever. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for anyone here who's struggling with that hard-headedness or hard-heartedness, if they've never surrendered their heart and their head to you, I pray today would be the day. They'd be like, I am done. I'm going to believe that this is sweet, and I'm going to take and eat it, and even if any kind of bitterness comes after it, I'm going to know that the purpose of that is to remind me that there's a sweetness I long for that I can never find until I'm fully with Christ. And so, Lord, I thank you for the truth of the gospel and the truth of this message that reminds us day in and day out. For those of us who are believers, man, help us to celebrate this morning that we can take and eat every day, every moment. We can take and eat from you that we have not been cast out of the tree of life. You've given us life through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so help us to celebrate communion this morning and the blood and the body that was broken, the blood that was shed for us. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we ask you to put a smile on our face, a new song in our heart, and help us to go out and tell others the true blessing of knowing you and knowing what's going on in our world because of what you've done and knowing what's coming one day. We thank you and we praise you. Help us to remember what you did for us. You died in our place. 
and that you came back to life and we can trust you for that completion. We pray.